Hi, welcome to the On Becoming Educated podcast, where I, Pa Vu, will share my experience as a first-generation PhD student. It's nearly 5 p.m. The sun hasn't set yet, but the shadows are leaning. And although it's been windy all day, a sneaky cold has set in crawling through the fabric of my cardigan. I've been up since 5.30 this morning and have spent the day meeting faculty, learning about research being conducted at this particular university, meeting people who could potentially be part of my cohort in the fall, and even getting to know my potential future advisor. It had been a day filled with validation and excitement. The innovation I saw in the faculty inspired me to want to start my research project right away, The faculty's apparent dedication to the success of their students touched my heart. Now that all the presentations were over, the program is hosting a dinner for us. But I decided to leave because home is two hours away, and I don't want to get home too late. As I start toward my car, I quickly check my phone in case anything important came in while I was in one of the presentations. I notice a new email in my inbox. The first words I see in the subject line are fellowship offer from, and that's all I read. My heart races as I quickly open the email and scan it. At the very top is an official blue and gold header, and right below the words, Dear Pa, congratulations. I am delighted to notify you that you have won our prestigious fellowship. Three things happen. First, I freeze in place in the middle of the kinda, kinda not sidewalk that I was walking on and read the rest of the email. The fellowship would provide me with a $29,000 stipend for each of the first two years, followed by matching department support the third and fourth year, and additional funding the fifth year when I advanced to candidacy. I mean, what the heck just happened? Second, I start taking screenshots and sending them to my family and my mentors with exclamation points, OMGs, and emojis with big eyes and just as big mouths. I'm having a really hard time breathing. I can't believe this is happening to me. I stop at the end of the kinda kinda not sidewalk and quickly cross the street. I pass a girl and wonder if she can see the excitement on my face, if she can feel the energy emanating from me. Finally, I get to my car, throw myself into the driver's seat, and look at the email again to make sure I had read it correctly. And that's when the third thing happens. The question sneaks into my head like it had been there all along, waiting in the dark. Do they know that they just offered me, Pa Vu, a fellowship? Me. Pa Vu. Oh my gosh. What if they think I'm better than I am? Oh no. Oh no. I know exactly what this is. I've seen it before. The syrupy deceit, the dark curling doubt that wraps around my shoulders, pulling me close to whisper intimately in my ear. Just wait, it says. Just wait until they find out who you really are. I know this thing. It's my old friend, imposter syndrome. 
Okay, I think I'm actually getting ahead of myself. Let's backtrack a bit. Back in January, after what seemed like the longest wait of my life, I received an email from a professor at UC Berkeley. She said she was interested in my application and wanted to schedule a Skype discussion. I saw this email while at work and, of course, went screaming from desk to desk, coworker to coworker, exclaiming my disbelief that UC Berkeley was interested in me. Little old me. So you see, even this early in the game, I was already leaving the door wide open for imposter syndrome to step right in. After an in-depth but easy chat about my research interests and her current students, the professor told me she was going to recommend me for admission to the School of Education. She was also going to nominate me for a cross-campus fellowship and a School of Education fellowship. I can't quite remember how I responded. I think even in that moment, I only held a half-hearted belief that I would really go to UC Berkeley or that anyone would see any real value in the research I wanted to pursue. In my statement of purpose, I spoke of a deep desire to preserve my native language, the Hmong language. I spoke of my experience being erased and wanting to disrupt systems of power. Really, it was a plea to take a chance on a little girl who desired to understand something that had happened and was still happening to her and to many of the people around her. A little over a month later, I found myself sitting in a parking lot in Natomas, a community in North Sacramento, stuffing cheap teriyaki chicken and rice down my throat while I read the fellowship email line by line. While I tried to wrap my head around the fact that when the email said you, it meant me. Now I'm a little nervous, I texted to my siblings. Like, what are they expecting of me? LOL. Although my siblings didn't seem to know it, the LOL at the end of that message was full of nervous energy. Remember that school I had visited at the beginning of this episode? Well, that wasn't UC Berkeley. As it turned out, that school could only offer me a $9,000 fellowship for the first year, then possible grad student positions for the subsequent years. I'm not aggrieved over it because I know that each school... Each program has their own priorities and needs, so their offers are going to be different. I drove home that evening half trying to contain my uber creative mind from drumming up a million research projects, and half wondering what the heck I'm going to do when they realize I'm not as smart as I sound on paper. A week later, I accepted the offer of admission to UC Berkeley. A month after that, In the middle of daily Zoom meetings, rising COVID-19 cases, and me trying to keep my body from falling apart due to all the changes resulting from staying at home, I received another email from my advisor at UC Berkeley. In the email, she told me that I had been awarded another fellowship. This one included a $50,000 stipend and collaborative learning and professional development opportunities. I think I took a whole minute to just stare at that number. I counted the zeros just to be sure I was reading it correctly. It seemed unbelievable that someone thought my experience and research was worth investing in. So unbelievable that I didn't even share the news with anyone outside my immediate family until a week later. 
also because I didn't want to feel like I was showing off. I hated that feeling the most. According to an article in Time, imposter syndrome, also known as imposter phenomenon, is the idea that you've succeeded because of luck, not ability. Imposter syndrome is often associated with the word fraud, in which those who experience it feel like they are masquerading as a member of the group and will soon be discovered. Psychologists have described these types of people as individuals who cannot seem to accept their success. Imposter syndrome affects both men and women and have been shown to be prevalent in perfectionists, experts, soloists, natural geniuses, and supermen or women, according to this article. There doesn't seem to be one single answer as to why imposter syndrome develops in some people, but experts seem to believe that it could be a combination of personality as well as environmental influences. The latter seems especially critical to the appearance of imposter syndrome in marginalized groups such as ethnic minorities. According to an article in Grad Psych, a publication of the American Psychological Association, imposter syndrome is very common in those who are starting new chapters of their lives, such as going to grad school. I have always known something about me. As the oldest of seven, as a first-generation low-income college student, as a member of a highly patriarchal culture that often pressured girls to mold into obedient, voiceless, identityless robots. I grew into someone who always felt like she was never enough. There was always someone who was smarter, prettier, better. Hence, I spent a large part of my life chasing this idea of perfection that didn't exist. Luckily, I had spent a few years working on ditching these limiting beliefs, as life coaches would call them. That day, the day I received the email about the first fellowship, and that sneaky feeling of heavy doubt crept in, I paused and let the feeling settle. Then I stood up to it. Oh my gosh, imposter syndrome, I said. It's you. And I cornered it and began questioning it intensely. Why are you here? Why am I feeling this way? Is it okay to feel this way? What do these things, these feelings say about me, my choices, and my journey? And how do I make you go away? My answers. Imposter syndrome is here because it's always hiding inside me. But it's okay to feel this way. At least for the moment. So how do I make imposter syndrome go away? Both the article in Time and Grad Psych suggest sharing your feelings with people you trust, for these people can help you turn around or help you move in a different direction. These articles also remind you that everyone experiences doubt and no one is perfect. But what I found helpful and what I've come back to time and time again is this one question. What are the facts? This one question has always helped to ground me. Compartmentalizing what I know to be true and what I think to be true, two very different things, has helped me keep myself in check. 
It very effectively knocks out any silly or unfounded arguments I make up about my abilities or qualifications. When I was selected for those fellowships at UC Berkeley, my initial reaction was doubt. But here's what I know to be true. One, I spent months writing a statement of purpose that I thought was as good as it would ever be. Two, my extensive personal and professional experience in education speaks for itself. It can't be made up, and it can't be erased. Three, I have strong letters of recommendation that support my experience and my abilities. Four, I have a unique research project that I am passionate about, and I communicated this passion through an enjoyable interview with my advisor. You see, here's what I discovered about this whole thing. I've already convinced UC Berkeley that I belong there. Now, I just have to convince myself. And the funny thing is, sometimes that is what takes the most work. And I know myself, too. I know that I will need to continue to convince myself, most likely throughout my program. But I feel that I'm equipped with the right weapons for this fight. I don't think I'll ever get rid of imposter syndrome completely. It lives in the deep, dark corners of me, of my innermost desires and fears. It has fortified itself over the years using my failures and rejections and pain, so I know it's just lying in wait for its chance to sneak out. But I'm at an age now where I no longer am scared of it. I can recognize it for what it is, call it by name, and tear it apart before sending it back to the dark. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast listening platform of your choice to be notified when new episodes are up. If you would like to support this podcast, a rating and review will go a long way. Podcasts with ratings and reviews are more likely to be found by listeners. So I would very much appreciate it if you can take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast. If you would like to make a donation to help me run this podcast, you can do so at ko-fi.com slash onbecomingeducated. That's ko-fi.com slash onbecomingeducated. Every dollar helps. Follow me on Instagram at byepawvu and the podcast at onbecomingeducated. Lastly, to access transcripts and submit listener questions, go to www.onbecomingeducated.com.